and welcome to Western Reaches, Toshi Station's grab bag geek discussion, focusing on science fiction, fantasy books, and video games. We're back. Surprise. We make no promises about future episodes for now because we are busy people. <laughs> But we are hopefully coming back next month to talk about the new Destiny expansion because the moon's haunted and we need to talk about that. It's so important. It's been quite <laughs> a summer. It's been long enough that I visited like three different countries and read a trilogy of novels that we're going to talk about since we recorded last. But I'm very glad we're back. Me too. So and I am, if you don't know us, I am Seth and I'm with my host Megan. Oh, right. We should do the intro, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Megan, and the game Control is the exact Venn diagram at the center of Saf and my interests. Absolutely. I think that about so that sums is... it up. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what our main, main topic is going to be. I'm really excited about that. I but feel first... like we do have a brand on this podcast, and it's like our brand is... Yunha Lee and Destiny and science fiction that kind of hints at literary fiction but doesn't go all the way into slipstream, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I read a few um, literary sci-fi books in the last year and gotta say, don't love it. <laughs> I definitely want sci-fi that kind of goes into literary, but I do not want literary that's trying to be sci-fi. Yeah, that's a that's a very important distinction. And the new weird, which we're gonna talk about, is somewhere else on that on that spectrum. But I feel like new weird is very specifically sci-fi fantasy. It is it does not play at being realistic in the way that a lit novel with some fantastical elements does. It like rather applies realism to deeply strange situations. Oh, and I love deeply strange situations. <laughs> Big mood. <laughs> So let's get into it. First, we're going to talk about books. Do you want to go first? Because I feel like you have strong feelings on a particular trilogy. Um, Sure, I can go first. <laughs> I have strong feelings in that I read the whole thing at a rather blistering pace. So the Rain Wilds trilogy by Robin Hobb. Robin Hobb is known primarily for um, a series that starts with Assassin's Apprentice. Yes, that's the name of the first one which I have now read but I was primarily interested in this one section of her sprawling fantasy world because this section is about dragons and <laughs> I have opinions about dragons <laughs> there are very few books that make dragons both alien and intelligent and I tend to be very annoyed by people by authors using dragons as a way to just thinly disguise human characters or who make them animals and don't really think about the idea of what if they were sapient. So the Rainwilds trilogy definitely has some problems. It's excruciatingly slow. I read <laughs> it on a like 12 hour plane ride and that was the ideal situation. That's why I read most of the first book on that plane ride because if you know you're going to be bored and you just want something less boring than a 12-hour plane ride, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> but also, as long as you're okay with really, really slow pacing, 
the world building is really cool and the dragons act like people they act sort of like cats where they're friendly one minute and really arch and judgmental the next they are individual characters and they influence humans in ways both like they're being manipulated in terms of politically and also physically if you bond with a dragon you end up looking kind of like a dragon and i really loved that so this series does have some kind of questionable elements. I was very concerned about the fact that the only gay character in the first book seemed to be a predatory, like, older, like, a predatory guy and his lover. But they turn out to, there are there is better representation than that. They end up, there's a happy ending to that. And so it was not quite as uncomfortable as I thought it might be. The dragons are very good. I mean, I feel like that's the most important thing. <laughs> I, d- I don't know about that, but that's what drew me to it, was the dragons were very good. That's fair. I've never thought about, like, too much about how dragons are written and things. I've thought so too So it's interesting hearing it. your thoughts. <laughs> that's a good thing, I feel. It's good to have a thing like that. <laughs> dragons are... <laughs> often portrayed as a ruling class oh this is actually connected to one of my other books okay so (laughs) dragons are often portrayed as a ruling class and there's a kind of a theme right now there's a couple YA books that I've seen that I will not name because I don't want to directly besmirch them but where it's like a female character disguises herself as a boy to get ahead in life in a world where there are also dragons and I'm like Dragons are usually portrayed as very intelligent and very wealthy, and there's magic in this world. So if you're going to go the whole way, why don't you just describe, dis- disguise yourself as a lady dragon, Ooh. and the book would be completely different and much more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I would be so into that. <laughs> so that so- sort of slightly connects to Dragon Pearl by Yoon Ha Lee. <laughs> which I read because we are big fans of Yoon Ha Lee here. And this was his first middle grade novel. It's from Rick Riordan's imprint. And it is about uh, a world, a space opera world based on Korean mythology, particularly about shape-shifting magical creatures. So the main character is Min, who is a fox spirit. And she's sort of a low-key character. She's a trickster. At first I was kind of annoyed by her, but then I realized she is... Loki. She's like the traveling trickster that messes up other people's plans and that's what she's supposed to be. And so that was a lot of fun. It is uh, features characters who are like shape-shifting dragons and shape-shifting tigers. You usually see them as their human forms and they are like one of them's a captain of a spaceship. It's a space opera. So it's this great smashing together of science fiction and fantasy. So I really enjoyed that. I really need to get my hands on that. I forgot it was out. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> it is out. It's written very differently from his other work, but I liked it. See, if you like it, I feel like that's promising for me. The other one that I enjoyed enough this summer to be like, I have to recommend this, especially to this audience, is The Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley, another author who has just been knocking it out of the park consistently lately. This is a time travel space marine story, and it's set 
in a, kind of a dystopian military situation, she has posted pictures of the charts she made to map out the time travel because it's very intricate, it's very twisty, and it's so impressive. This is definitely hard science fiction. It reminds me a lot of like a John Scalzi kind of work. I remember it primarily for how technically proficient it is rather than the characters, but it also did uh, what I know you and I both love is make battles confusing. Um, it reminded <laughs> me of Alexander Freed's writing a little bit in some of the fight, fight scenes, and Star Wars fans would know that's a huge compliment. So highly recommend it if you like military science fiction. I'm going to I'm going to get that book. It's extremely <laughs> like my kind of shit. I love well well written, well thought out like time travel stuff and it's not super common to find that. Um usually it's kind of just like hand wavy time travel. Uh but the fact like this chart you can find, that sounds extremely cool. <laughs> like chart she, that she made. She made great. I th- I think someone else plotted them. She was talking about like a friend of hers helped her program I'm not going to say it right, but helped her program a a computer program to be able to map out the the chart in a certain way. And then she went in and like inserted, here's how the scenes work. And that helped her keep everything straight as she was writing. It's very cool. It sounds extremely cool. I'm going to have to look into that. Yep. So that's Cameron Hurley. Those, Those are the things that are most remarkable. There are Obviously, a lot of things I read between now and then, but those are the ones that I wanted to make sure to point out. Yeah, that's fair. Then being last time we recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I've read a lot as well. Um, I don't remember a lot of it because I I turned through a lot of stuff and don't often remember a lot of it. Um, I did read some Philip K. Dick because I was like, I should probably read more of him. Uh, and then I got another a lot of other books out of the library and then never read any of them because I'm like that. Uh, but actually, I'm going to be the one this time that has a little bit of nonfiction for once. Because it's usually <laughs> not me that ever has nonfiction. Uh, but the main thing I've been reading at the moment is The Body Keeps the Score by... Mm, cannot read the title of that author's name from <laughs> the other side of the room. Um, but it's like a book about... It's a book by a psychologist, I think, about how trauma affects the body, like physically affects the body and stuff. Um, And it's a really interesting read, a really good read, because reading through it, I'm just like, oh, a lot of stuff makes sense with just like in general, like not just myself, but like how other people interact with the world and stuff like that. Um, And like, it's just really good. (laughs) And also someone who's like really interested in psychology and stuff, like if I had... If student loans didn't exist and university was free, I'd probably go back and do psychotherapy. Um, it It is quite a heavy book in a lot of ways because it does talk very like blatantly about trauma that happens to people. But it is a really interesting book. And like if you're someone like me who has lots of trauma, it's a good read to like understand how your brain and body actually work with that stuff. And I think I haven't gone that far yet in the book, but it has later stuff about like treatment and ways to cope with it. Um, and I am keen to get to that, but I've also just been really, I don't know, it's written really well as well. It's not psychobabble or anything. It's not like too high level. It's written for like people to read it. Um, and there's a lot of empathy in the writing as well. You can tell that he really cares about the people he's trying to help. 
The thing I worry about with books like this is whether they feel too self-helpy. And to me, that does not mean that it offers suggestions for ways to how you could help yourself. But that means that it offers very vague terms and very vague suggestion. But it sounds like if you like this one, I, I trust that it goes at it with a sort of a rigorous way and a way that works for like our brains are both very want to avoid vague and want to go with almost <laughs> uh there's a dream logic to it does that make sense i'm not yeah. explaining this very well no i don't sound like it's talking down to you right absolutely not yeah he's backed up by a lot of studies and a lot of research and a lot of like actual practical experience in this um and like i said like i haven't gotten to any of like the treatment plans that he's worked on or anything like that um but yeah, it doesn't feel the same as, like, the self-helpy books. I've read a few of those and been like, great, cool. This has been useless. Absolutely useless. This actually feels like a book about the science without being too scientific, which is a good thing to read because I do like science and I like reading about psychology, but a lot of the time the stuff about that is way too dense for me to handle. That sounds like a good balance. Yeah, yeah. I see why a lot of people recommend it to me. It took me, like, I think I requested this mid last year uh and it finally came in this month and so i'm having to read it really quickly because i know it's on hold and i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna be able to renew it or anything so i've been waiting a long time for this book because a lot of people have recommended it to me so i'm really excited to finally read it and i do recommend it if anyone's interested in that kind of stuff but also with a heavy content warning because it is a lot and speaking of heavy content warnings i've also been making my way through mortality by uh what's his name christopher hitchens um it was a series of essays that he wrote in Vanity Fair because he was the editor or something like that. He was the contributing editor at Vanity Fair um, until his death. And he wrote 10 essays. 10 essays? No, he wrote seven essays, uh, which were about him dealing with the struggle with having cancer and that he was going to die, basically. Um, wow. And it, yeah, it's very heavy. Um, I was reading it. I did a lot of research for a talk I did about, like, dealing with grief and closure. Um, and so I picked up this book because it seemed, like, very much about that kind of stuff. And it is very heavy. He's a very witty writer. He, I don't know much about him as a person, but I have gathered from this that he was a very strongly atheist man. And a lot of religious people hated him for that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really interesting to read it because he's very lucid during writing this, obviously. He's, like come to terms with what's happening and it's talking a lot about like grief and how other people grieve for him and just the way he approaches life with this knowledge um yes very heavy <laughs> that's interesting yeah very heavy but very well written like extremely well written um so yeah those are my two kind of like non-fiction things and then i also because i realized that I've never talked to you about The Raven Tower, but I did read The Raven Tower. I read no. it a second time, actually. I saw uh, this on the list, and I have mixed feelings about this book. Same. Same. I Because I read it when it... No, well, I read an advanced copy of it, I think, before it came out. And then because I read it before it came out, I just totally forgot about it. Because nobody talked about it when it came out. Um, and then recently, I uh, listened to the audiobook of it because it's narrated by uh, i've forgotten her name um hedra or something the same person who narrates the ancillary books the the ratch trilogy 
Um, oh, and so cool. I really wanted to read that or listen to that because I really like that narrator. And I actually liked it a lot more when it was narrated because it felt more like um, it felt more like the god was actually trying to talk throughout the entire story. I felt more like how I feel the book was intended to read when I was listening to it. I can definitely see that because the book had a storytelling sing-song kind of tone that might work better in voice and was one of the things that I think made it hard for me to grab onto it as a novel. Yeah, same. I also felt with it that it um, it felt too short and too inconsequential. I don't know if you got that too, but it felt like the start of something and then there was nothing, there was never the rest of it. I agree. It ended abruptly. The It's strange to say this because I think Anne Leckie is excellent. I think she would have considered all of this, but it feels like it didn't start at the right time. And maybe the story should have been looked at from a different angle or take place later in that world. The It felt like set up. Yeah, it felt absolutely like set up. And there's so much cool stuff about the gods. Like, the the rules of the gods are very strict and, like, very thought out. And they're really interesting. But you only kind of start getting the hang of that stuff near the end of the book. And by that point, the book's over. And I want more of that stuff because that was really cool. I'm always picky with gods in fiction. I have nearly as many thoughts about gods in fiction <laughs> as I do about dragons. <laughs> and that's because I believe that in fantasy fiction you need to earn calling something a god because there are so many types of fantasy creatures that have so many different powers and it is a god it needs to not only have like extraordinary abilities but it needs to also break the rules of the world such that it could not have been any other fantasy thing and worked this is a pet peeve of mine this isn't even a particularly intellectual argument it's more one that has just bothered me since i grew up as a religious person that a god needs to be a step above other types of fantasy beings or else call it something else and she made an interesting balance in this where the gods are defined as by these rules and by being older than most things there are she did some things that are kind of pet peeves for me but they're just <laughs> very personal pet peeves i liked that she described how the the um patients and oh i've forgotten its name the main the main god the rock patients yeah. and something um that how it lived under the ocean for a long time and saw creatures grow around it and the earth changed and it got i got a really good sense of how ancient it was and some of the rule stuff worked for me and some of it didn't uh but it i wasn't always clear on how the magic worked and whether there was magic that did not come from the gods. Cause that's the important thing to me. It's like, cause fantasy offers up this question of what is it to live in a world where gods are real? And we're like, there mm. is one religion that's correct and other religions that are not. And fantasy doesn't usually do that. It does. Yeah. Gods are creatures, they're forces, they're storms. They're like dragons 
And that is not the same thing. And she got really close to that in this book, but that just wasn't what she was interested in, which is fine. <laughs> I just have a hang up about this. <laughs> That's fair. That's one thing I've always actually found interesting. So we were playing Dragon Age um, and being like trying to grapple with the idea of the religions being true in this world, but they're still being different religions and just being like, I don't understand how that works. And the game world doesn't ever really talk about it until like Inquisition where you start getting the idea that like the different gods and the different religions might actually be the same gods kind of thing. Um, and I was like, okay, that that's interesting uh but of course like the old gods in that game are like dragons like elder dragons kind of thing um which are like the first couple dragon age games i was really like grappling because i've never been religious myself with like the idea of like it's religion but the religion is true so people who don't believe in it are making a choice to not believe in a real thing and i don't know i i always find that (laughs) strange in fantasy I know I'm coming at it from a very Christian perspective, too, because that definition of a god is a being that is more powerful than other beings, that doesn't abide by the rules of other beings, is, a very, is for me, based in a very Christian perspective. But then if you look at something like the Greek gods, where people that worship them and people that wrote fiction about them were perfectly happy to say, yeah, they're basically people, they just have certain <laughs> powers, and also, like, some of the Greek gods exist and also these other local gods exist and they intermarry and they intermarry with mortals and all of that. That's an ancient, ancient concept. I do not fault fantasy for using that concept. <laughs> I have other problems with Dragon Age. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, big same. <laughs> I, oh God, I just can't, the Greek one, to Christianity again, because there's, there's one god. The Greek one, I'm only just starting to actually learn who the Greek gods are because of the game Hades, which I've been playing a lot uh. of. Um, and that's the only reason between Hades and um, Nomen, which I reread recently. That's all my knowledge of Greek mythology is those two things. I'm reading Circe right now by <laughs> Madeline someone. Hang on, it's over here. Madeline Miller. And which is which is quite good. I have mixed feelings about it so far, but it is good. But it's right on this point of like the gods are just basically people. And but it is kind of refreshing me on um mythology. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, I hope Circe's Greek. I hope I didn't get that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Zeus is involved. That sounds Greek to I'm me. I'm so sorry, Jay. That sounds Greek, I think. (laughs) It's all Greek to you. Great. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, Raven Tower, good? Good if you like the right thing that it's trying to do, but could be more good, I think. I still think the point of view is so cool. Yeah, it is really cool. The way it's written is I was like, Anne Leckie's done it again. (laughs) She's really good at, like, just, oh, really complex stuff that you've just got to, like, I don't know. Like, my brain always has to, like, click at a point when I'm reading her stuff and suddenly everything makes sense again. But until yes. that point, I just cannot understand anything. Yes, I think I told you the story, because this was back in October when those arcs were coming out, of how I read the first three paragraphs and went, oh, this is a normal fantasy perspective. <laughs> and then went, wait a second, this is in both first person and second person 
Winston at the same time. And also, I didn't notice this woman is a wizard. <laughs> it's amazing how she does that. Her writing is so good. Yes. I do, yeah. If you want to, like, read this book, I do highly recommend the audiobook because it's so good. I think it's Adjoa Ando reads it. I'm pretty sure that's who reads it. And she's she's just great. She's so good. <laughs> I love her. I love her uh, voice and the way she narrates stuff. Um, I got through the ancillary books again recently because I was listening to them with her narrating them. And I was like, oh, this is so good. Also, it's interesting actually hearing all of the names and everything out loud instead of just reading them and being like, I don't understand how to say this. <laughs> does she sing in the audiobooks for ancillary? She does. It's weird Ooh. because, like, the songs aren't, like, it's translated, right? Like, yes, you get the idea rhyme. that... Yeah, you get the idea that the character's speaking a lot of different languages, but it's all translated. Like, it's all one language for us. Um, and so they don't rhyme. And, like, the idea is that the ancillary doesn't have the best voice anyways, because she just likes to sing. And so it's kind of just, like, weird songs. <laughs> it's really weird. I, I, but it I, I love them so much. They're so those good. Books. They're so good. I love those books. Have you ever read them? And you listen to this podcast, what are you doing? <laughs> yes, we could go on about those forever, but <laughs> you have something called 1001 Nights on the list. Is that the yes. original? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's the original. Um, I've been reading oh, it for wow. a few weeks now. I'm 2% of the way through the Kindle book, because it turns out it is 1001 stories. Sure it uh, is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's very long um i'm reading it for game research which is why i'm reading it otherwise i probably wouldn't pick it up but it is really interesting because the framing narrative is uh god i can't remember any of the characters names because i'm useless um the grand vizier's daughter is trying to stop the sultan from killing his wives like he gets a new wife every day and then kills her the next day so that she can't cheat on him because his wife cheated on him and he's really sad about that uh and so she basically encourages her father to let her marry the sultan so that she can, every night she starts telling him a story and then she doesn't finish the story. Oh no, every morning she starts telling a story and in the morning she doesn't get a chance to finish telling the story because she has to go do her things. And the sultan's like, well, I can't kill you now because I have to know the end of the story. And so this keeps happening for like 1,001 nights, basically. And a lot of the stories are like, they, they keep doing a thing where like there's a story happening and then one of the characters in the story is like, let me tell you a story. And then it goes into a new story. And I think I'm about oh. 10 stories deep right now. I don't remember huh. what any of the framing stories were for the story I'm in anymore. Uh, but it's, I'm I'm at Sinbad now. So I'm going through Sinbad 7 voyages um, at the moment. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I recognize some of the stuff. Because obviously it's made it into the wider uh, mainstream storytelling. Because Sinbad's one of the ones that's actually like gotten into Western mythology. Well, not Western mythology, but Western storytelling. Um and it's written, the one I'm reading is translated in quite a, quite a, I don't know, It's. It, I think it's trying to evoke, like, the style of the writing in English. So it's kind of very old-timey, kind of classical kind of writing. Um, and I do like that. I do like how it's written. But also there are times I'm reading, I'm like, oh, yes, this is a very, very old <laughs> mythology because there are some weird things in there, like, some great moments, some really great moments. Like a guy who could talk to animals, so he could hear what animals are saying. He could understand what animals are saying. I don't think he could talk to them. Um, and at some point, he hears the donkey playing tricks on the ox or whatever, and he starts laughing so much because it's really funny to him. And his wife is like, 
oh yeah, his rule is that he can hear animals, but he cannot tell anyone because he will die. Um, as a rule, you know, fair enough. Okay. And so yep. his wife is like, what are you laughing at? And he's like, I can't tell you. She's like, you have to tell me. And he's like, no, I can't tell you. I will die. And she's like, if you're not going to tell me, I will never sleep with you again. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> but then it's old. It's it's really old. So then he beats his wife until she stops asking. And I was like, okay, way to ruin that moment for me. Thanks for that. Wow. So, yeah. All right. So yeah. I there's was... a lot of violence <laughs> towards people in this book. I was wondering where these stories originally came from because it is the source of Aladdin and Sinbad and these well-known stories, but the Scheherazade framing device does not seem like something that would be easy to read in any era. Like, it's it's long, it's cumbersome. So mm-hmm. I, I looked it up real quick, and this uh, uh, Wikipedia says the work was collected over many yeah. centuries by various people. So all these stories weren't originally together. They were put together with the framing device do you let the background's interesting i don't know if you know any more about the background because i think this is not necessarily meant to be read front to back not necessarily yeah it is mainly a collection of lots of lots of mythologies and folklore tales i think um that's the reason i picked it up is because it was a collection of a lot of things i think a lot of them are originally like indian and they kind of got absorbed into this uh i was reading about it recently but yeah, because it is a lot, it's a big collection of a lot of stories. So a lot of them have very similar, um, very, very similar stories to them. Like the idea, there's a lot of recurring ideas of somebody getting revenge on someone by turning them into an animal and then a sorceress coming along and spraying water on them and being like, if your true form is something else, turn back into that and they'll turn back into that thing and everything's good again. Uh, that's a lot of the stories are that. Uh, there's a lot of like... The poor merchant goes off on a voyage to find riches, gets stuck on a um, deserted island, and then gets saved by, through some mysterious means, some weird stuff happens, and then they get their stuff back, and they sell it, and they become rich. So there's a lot of that stuff as well. Um, So, (laughs) that's, I, seriously is not on my list, but I have been reading it, so that Mm -hmm. reminds me of... Of that, because she's the witch who turned Odysseus's men into pigs on her oh. island. And um, I was reading the, the wiki page for this because I wanted to see how exactly the author of the novel had changed things and subverted things and explained things. It reads very much like fanfic for a character who has not a lot of backstory, and then she's tied all the backstory together in a really interesting way. So... The story of Circe now, or the story of Odysseus on the island now, is often read as the men were punished for being lustful, and Odysseus sleeps with Circe, and he's on this island for, like, a whole year being lustful, and that's one of his downfalls. And that's the lesson of the story, is not to be complacent in that way. But... Older scholars often read it as more of a meditation on the nature of people and the difference between people and animals because the men turn into swine and the question is, did they retain their human consciousness or do they gain animal consciousness and did some of them maybe actually kind of like being pigs? And so that reminds me of this discussion of the difference between human and animal and like maybe, maybe 
it's better to live as an animal in some ways, or maybe that's a sin, and that's what the story's about. Yeah, yeah. I haven't really dug into it that much, but there is one where, um, it's one of the first few stories, and this guy, this old guy, I don't know if he's old, a traveler, uh, has a calf with him, like a cow with him, and he's like, let me tell you the story of why I have this cow, and it turns out the cow is his son, who's just still a cow, I guess? Um... And I was like, okay, that's huh. fine. I love cows, so I could love my son being a cow, I guess. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of weird stuff, and it is very obviously old, but it's interesting. It's really interesting, especially seeing how it kind of, because it's very different framing to how Western folklore works, because it is very, like, interwoven, and just, God, it's so interwoven. I honestly do not know where I am in it. It feels like Inception, kind of. I feel like mm-hmm. I keep diving into deeper and deeper dreams. And I don't remember <laughs> where the waking world is anymore. Um, but yeah, it's just it's really interesting seeing what's come out of it and what I actually know of it because of what the Western world has taken, basically. Anyways, I do not recommend it entirely. Um, if you read it, I would suggest reading one of the <laughs> abridged versions of it because... I'm really glad I have this on Kindle because I don't know how else I would handle a book this big. But people can find like the original of Aladdin or the original of Sinbad if they want to from that. Or yeah. well, not the original, but a preserved, a relatively well-preserved version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also I found out through this that Poe, forgotten his name. I can't believe I've forgotten Poe's name. Edgar Allan Poe. Allen? Okay, yeah, that, that Poe. Poe wrote a 1000 and second night parody i found out because i was reading the wikipedia page about this book or something it was like Edgar Allan Poe wrote a sequel which was disliked by every critic and i was like (laughs) i have to read this now because i'm curious and it's basically (laughs) it's bad it's real bad it's just Poe kind of making fun of like i don't know it's making fun of everything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it feels weirdly racist and sexist all at once. And I was like, I can see why everyone hated this. Because even at that, it's not funny in any way. It's just kind of repetitive and boring. It's like a really bland take on the depth of mythology in this book. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and I was oh, like, oh. One of those, like, like, um... Board of the Rings type story. Yeah, basically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and then at the end, um, Shazerad, is that how you say her name? That's as good a shot as I did. Um, she dies in the end. And I'm like, well, that's just... Thanks. Huh. <laughs> thanks, Poe, for this. Literally, you did literally nothing here. <laughs> nothing useful here. Even Poe writes very off-base culture criticism sometimes. Even Poe. Who could have known it? (laughs) Stick with your weird stuff, Poe. Just stay away from this. (laughs) As if he's going to write more, but, like, stick with the weird stuff. Speaking of weird stuff, let's talk about games. Oh, I love games. I'm excited to hear... Okay, so you've been playing Heaven's Vault. Have you finished it? I have. I finished it a month or so back. Tell me about it. The one ending. So, Heaven's Vault is the... I was super excited about this because it was kind of put out as the translation game. The primary mechanic is to match symbols with words from an ancient language that you piece together as you go. It is a complete language in that it has um, 
um, pictographs almost. So sometimes words kind of look like what they mean and most words are a single character. So it's not, you do not have to learn an alphabet. You learn hieroglyphs sort of. That's probably a vast simplification of what hieroglyphs are. But what I'm saying is you do <laughs> not need to memorize an entire alphabet. You memorize a whole lot of words. So the primary mechanic is putting these words together. The secondary mechanic is flying through um, space, basically. it's The world is very unique. I was about to call it steampunk, and I don't think that's accurate. But you are flying on rivers of water between different parts of a nebula in space in a spaceship that looks sort of like the ships from destiny and sort of like the ships from treasure planet so it has this uh journeying aspect as well which you may be familiar from that studio's previous game which was around the world in 80 days right so i found the flying to be frustrating it there's fast travel only between the most major of areas and the exploration was not satisfying to me it was confusing and cumbersome but the translation was awesome and there were these great moments where you realize that a word that you think means something actually means something else which tells you a lot not only about the translations you've been doing but also about the culture that made them a friend and i were comparing notes we both had notebooks full of these symbols the moment where she realized a certain part of the character meant something, which basically there is a moment in this game where you realize something about the grammar, which which you then realize is a spoiler for the end of the game, which <laughs> is astonishing and sounds very vague, but it is in fact a spoiler. So... The the way the language interlocked with the story was really great. The main character is Aaliyah. I really liked her. She's from the the main planet is Iox, which span which is the head of an empire that spans this nebula and is perhaps predictably not great. All the people living under it, you very quickly go to a planet where they do not they have to pay a tithe to the empire and they do not like that. Aaliyah is also not, she wasn't born on Iox. She was born on another planet called Elbereth, and she's very loyal to being from there and to the fact that even though she's working for Iox, she is Elberethian. She is from one of these more downtrodden, poor planets and does not, and has complicated feelings about being seen as an emissary from Iox. So, there, that's kind of the core of her characterization, the way she interacts with people. You can meet a couple central characters. It's not a full RPG, but it is character uh, peopled with a bunch of different characters. Um, the the art style is something you kind of have to see to know whether you'll like it. I think it's it's very beautiful, but it's how do I describe it? Almost two dimensional, and when you it's move, lo-fi. Yes. Like, when you move, your character kind of blurs from one place to the next. It's not a continuous movement. It's almost like snapshots. So that took some getting used to, but it was not as challenging as I thought it might be. There was no... There's also no real combat. Like, you're never fighting as Aaliyah. You're just translating, so you don't need that precision. 
it uh, it was good. There were some kind of unsettling moments. There was these revelations. It was a very fun game to play with friends to kind of try to like figure out how to write, you know, diff like unique sentences that may not appear in the game, but you can write back and forth to your friends. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't have any conversations in it, but we did write some original sentences. So that was fun. That's extremely cute. And you have not played any of this? No, I haven't. It's one of those games that I meant to pick up when it came out, but I didn't have time. And then I keep forgetting about it until someone's like, have you played this? And I'm like, no, but I will soon. And then I forget about it again. I definitely recommend it. The flying is tedious, and that's really the only negative thing that I felt about it. Honestly, a bit of tedious gameplay isn't the worst, especially if the game's not even about that, really. Um, I'm really interested in, yeah, how they've done the translating stuff and the fact that you said like figuring out a grammar thing is like you know a spoiler for the game has me really interested about that what that actually is mm, it's it's very good i hope we can talk about it again at some point yeah yeah absolutely my list of games from this summer are sandwich of things i liked and things i didn't like so <laughs> i think pretty quickly i'll go over Generation Zero and Harry Potter Wizards Unite. I was really excited for Generation Zero. It's a survival game set in Sweden where robots have attacked, and it's very similar to Simon Stallenhag's Tales from the Loop art style. If you're familiar with that, there's in fact been some awkwardness between the artist and the studio in which the artist has said, I know those guys. They did not ask me whether I wanted to, whether I wanted my work to be used on this game, but this game looks a lot like my work. So they're in this awkward, like, no one wants to sue each other, period. At least that's how they were last time I checked in on this game. So, because right. a lot of people were saying, oh, it's a Simon Stalinog game, and it's not. I Like, it is, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, it does not play very well, at least when I played. It is buggy, it's slow, you have long periods of slogging through very beautiful, very empty fields. It is really optimized for four people, and if you play with fewer than four people, it is going to be almost impossible. There are a lot of reused locations, the landscapes are gorgeous, but the houses all look the same. My copy was very buggy. The robots are beautiful, but not all that much fun to fight because it tries to be a resource management game and has an extremely clunky resource menu. So I really hope, I keep meaning to go back and seeing whether they've made any quality of life updates, but I do feel that they also intend it to be a survival game for four people, not a shooter for one person. And it's just, that's not going to be what I want. So I hope they've ironed out their technical bugs. I still like the look of the robots. The game is very atmospheric, but it's really, for me, all it was was atmosphere and the rest was just a slog. Yeah, I remember, I totally forgot about like the whole artist thing because I did see that. Uh, I didn't remember, I just looked it up and I was like, oh yeah, that's right, that artist. Um because that was a whole thing. Yeah, I think I looked into it around the time that that happened, and I was like, this does not sound like a game I would enjoy. <laughs> so I just didn't bother picking it up. And from what you said, it sounds like, yeah, it wouldn't be a game I would enjoy. Because again, like a four-player co-op survival game, not extremely my thing. 
I had a rather frenzied evening with myself, an editor, and a friend all on Discord trying to coordinate to play this game together. It is also... (laughs) There are kind of no save points. So, like, if you die, you have to run for, like, like, half an hour, like, real world half an hour to find each other. So it was a very stressful time when, oh, the last time I played this game. Oh, that does sound stressful. (laughs) Harry Potter Wizards Unite, I wanted to shout out because I did uh, review it. It's, It's free, so it's not like there's any transaction there, but... It's Pokemon Go for Harry Potter. Uh, it has a much a more robust RPG system in that you can kind of craft potions and put uh, different skills on your character. Um, the raid was really fun. I did just the very beginning of a raid. And for a game all about swiping, it was actually really satisfying. But the swiping is boring, and I found the framing did not work as well as, as Pokemon. Pokemon has an inbuilt... You can catch characters and they're cute and like they are Pokemon get caught in the original series. That's what the series is about. So you feel like you're really participating in the kind of story that the world is supposed to tell. Despite having more of a narrative framework, Harry Potter couldn't quite get its brain around how to make catching things feel like it fit in that world. So you were catching like a wanted poster with Sirius Black's face on it or kind of a uh, Ginny Weasley appeared in mine at one point she was being held captive by a giant spider or something but there's no real story to that the characters are just a part of a rotating cast of things you can find and the animation reminded me of the first Harry Potter movie which did not have the kind of cuteness and charm of the book illustrations or of Pokemon and like I like the Harry Potter movies they're fine but they have an intentional grotesqueness to them which did not translate well to a mobile game yeah I never picked that up because I have a few Pokemon Go friends I mean I, I'm part of a whole raid community here and everything. Um, I, I know the people in my town because we play Pokemon Go. But a few of them picked up this game because it was like, you know, Pokemon Go, but Harry Potter. And pretty much all of them dropped it pretty quickly because they're like, I'd rather just play Pokemon. Because, yeah, like you said, the story of Pokemon, like the narrative of Pokemon is you go out into the world and you find Pokemon, you catch them. Whereas Harry Potter's never really been like that. Like the idea of... Going outside to play Harry Potter just sounds weird to me. It doesn't connect up in the same way. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't have the same like inbuilt narrative that Pokemon does inherently. Um, and I think yeah. if they had wanted it to, they w- would have needed to go further away from the movies, which I understand would be a challenge. But if you had been say you're gonna play as Percy, no. you're going to play as the Weasley who works with dragons and you're going to capture dragons. Maybe that would have been a smaller scale thing that would have translated more, but that would also go against a lot of the money-making aspects of this. Like, and I don't just mean purchasable items. I mean, things like you want recognizable characters and you want to have to write some scripts, but not a ton of scripts 
it just tried to be uh, to find a middle ground between the movies and something original. Maybe if it had gone all the way to something original, it would have been more essential. There's also the fact that right now we're in a place of extreme cynicism toward Harry Potter ancillary material. <laughs> we meaning like the geek community yeah. in general. And so I don't, I, I, even the most hardcore Harry Potter fans I know right now are not going to be lured in by the prospect of here's new information. They're going to be like, please stop giving please, me more no, new information. I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the timing was not excellent. Yeah, that's real funny because, yeah, Harry Potter fans are very much like, please stop. Don't, I don't want anything else. Whereas Star Wars fans are like, please, God, give me more. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, I'm really excited about the next game that you're going to talk about. Yeah, I finally played Tacoma. Yes! I'm, I'm so glad that you suggested this to me. And so the very first, like, minute of the game, you're in a spaceship, like a Soyuz kind of thing. You dock with the space station, and this extremely adorable AI voice. <laughs> it is the cutest voice I've ever heard in my life. I love it so much says like welcome to your new job or whatever she says (laughs) and I was just like the voice acting in this game because she talks and the main character talks a little bit I think am I remembering that I think she Uh, talks a little bit it's been a while actually dialogue in the beginning but uh, the voice acting is so good it's so good the voice the voice acting in that game is honestly amazing (laughs) it it feels like watching a tv show in a good way with characters that you want to return to all all the crew members are so well drawn and so well characterized they're so diverse and all of the the whole game is about figuring out the mystery of what happened and as you go into each person's crew quarters you see they have made the space their own and everybody has different things and sometimes games will go a little distance with this like in control characters are reading a a young adult novel for book club so like you'll see a person's office station and then they have like the thing they wrote for book club but this is all about the character so (laughs) every part of the rooms are set up according to to tell you more about this person and all of them felt so real and so good also the this game did the thing that I normally don't like, which is didn't tell you a really important fact about your own character, mm-hmm. but it worked really well because I was so attached to what was going on. And the game had this whole underpinning of like, this is a game about why unions are important. So yeah, I was on board with, all right, here's the, 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 kind of political message that's going on and how my character is clearly going to fit into that message in some way I'm just not sure how and the end I was just like oh my gosh this game left me with such a feeling of happiness and resolution and relief I think I actually cheered at the end I was like (laughs) real thrilled it's very good it and is got really good AI content, which I'm here for. <laughs> extremely good AI content. All of them are just darling. And it is it is a walking simulator, as they say, right? It's mm-hmm. you do not do a lot of work in this game other than to 
listen to the stories being told around you, figure out some very mild puzzles with just a, a story being told to you. But I was perfectly happy to be told that story. But it also, it's, I remember when this game came out and I played it, I was like, damn it, I'm so mad I didn't think of this first. Because <laughs> it's made by the same studio as Her Story, which I actually still haven't played, <laughs> despite Tacoma being one of my favorite games. Um, but Her Story was told through, like, you know, audio, um, audio tapes, audio recordings. Audio recordings, that's the word I want. Uh, but this is told through AR recordings. So instead of just getting the audio, you get the AR recording of what characters are doing. So there'll be times where, like, all of them are in the kitchen together and then a bunch of them walk off to have their own little conversations and you can choose to follow those ones and you can record, you can rewind it and pause it and stuff like that. And it's just like everyone else playing. I was like, this is such a good way to do like the exploring audio recordings in a game because it's not just listening to a thing passively. Like it is passive, but also you can interact with it in ways to figure out what you want to figure out and explore what you want to explore first. And I really liked how they did that. Yeah, I agree. You can see the cat in the game in the AR. Oh, the cat. I love the cat so much. What was the cat's name? I honestly can't remember at this point. It was it's been so a long time. good. Okay, that's not good podcast content for me to try to remember the name of the cat from Tacoma, <laughs> but it was very good. <laughs> oh, I love that game so much. I actually got the physical, because I did a limited physical run of it, so I managed to get that. I got given it as a present. Um, and so I have a little Odin, which is the AI, um, hanging on oh. my my coat rack and i have the other ai uh the little like square the orange square i can't remember its name um as a pin holding up my calendar as well like i honestly that game so good so good so important so important <clears throat> all right so what else have you been up to in the world of games so kind of similar to tacoma i've been playing i played telling lies which um is the new game by sam barlow and other people, <laughs> I should remember the other people, but it's a Sam Barlow game uh, who made her story. Um, and it's kind of similar to Tacoma in the way that you're interacting with recordings to figure out the story of a thing. Uh, if you've played her story, you'll know what I mean. Her story is basically a game where you have access to a database and one side of an interview with someone, and you have to figure out the mystery of what happened there. Um, and Telling Lies is kind of a more complex version of that. It's like the spiritual successor to her story. It's not related to it in any way, uh, but it you can clearly see like how it's grown from that game. And it's very good, very interesting. Uh, it's a game about you're an FBI detective, I guess, and you're trying, you have like an info dump on like, hard drive and you plug it in and it's basically a bunch of recordings that have been scraped from like TSA and stuff like that like recordings of conversations but and you're trying to figure something out and of course you as the as the player you don't know what you're trying to figure out but the character obviously is and um basically it starts off searching for some, like just like with I don't remember the phrases that it starts with I think it's love it starts with the phrase love and you get five videos and you can watch them. And it's basically you get each half of the conversation, but they're not in one piece. So you get, when they're talking over phone or video or whatever, you'll get one guy who's obviously having a conversation with someone, but you don't get the other half of the conversation until you find it later on. 
and you see that and then you can put them together and understand the full context of it and so you've got to when you're trying to figure out what's happening and everything when you have a conversation you want to find the other half you have to be like what would this character say in response to that what's the best thing they could search to find this particular thing and you can only see five of the search results even if there's more than five so you have to get specific sometimes and there was one point in the game where it very obviously wanted me to search one word and I was like it's fine I made a list as I was going it has a little like notepad in the game it's like a computer desktop in game so there's a little notepad you can write stuff on in the game which is really handy so I was making a list of search terms I want to look up as I was going and I was going through the list uh, in order and there was one word that the game obviously wanted me to search for because it kind of kept coming up in different ways and I was like, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then at some point I was trying to figure out a certain thing and <laughs> found, I was really mad because I couldn't figure it out anywhere. And I was like, I just want to know the answer to this one thing. And then it turned out that searching that word would have gotten me the answer from the start. And I was like, um, <laughs> yep, can see what that game was trying to do. And I could definitely see from like a design point, obviously, because I can't help myself, uh, the different ways that like different words would have led you to the same thing to make sure that people, no matter which direction they were going to find stuff, it would still lead them to what they needed to find, which I thought was really good. Um, it is really good. I got quite invested in some of the characters. And at the end of the game, it gives you a thing about like who you spent the most time with, what you are most interested in in the game. And I thought that was really interesting too. Oh, and I really, oh, I really, fine. really want to find, <laughs> I really want to see like the, design documentation for this because it must be wild like keeping all of this in order must be absolutely wild and I want to know what it is now Tacoma was a science fiction game mm-hmm. Gone Home or her story rather was totally realistic mystery. right is yeah. this game also totally realistic yeah it's pretty realistic um okay yeah I, I was like, does it have any weird stuff? But no, it is it is extremely realistic. It's very much like a mystery in the same way that Tacoma, not Tacoma, uh, her story is. Okay. Yeah. And thoroughly recommend it if you like her story. Thoroughly recommend it if you just like mystery stuff uh, that involves you having to write notes and stuff. It's very good. It's very good. The acting is amazing in it. Now, I've been wondering about this next one because I can't decide whether it seems like something I would be into or not. So you can tell me. Would I like The Return of the Oberdin? Potentially. It was... I didn't actually know anything about this game before I picked it up except for, like, the title screen and the fact that it, like, was the indie darling last year. Like, everyone was obsessed with it and it got, like, in all the awards and everything. So I kept hearing about it and I was like... I should check it out at some point, but I don't know what it's about. I don't know if I'll care. The fact it was called The Return of the Oberdin, I was like, it sounds like it's a sequel to some really old game or something. Um, and I ended up picking it up because I really just wanted to play a game. And I didn't feel like playing Destiny. I didn't feel like playing Hades. And it was like one of the games on my Steam list that I hadn't played yet. And I was like, I guess I'll check it out. And from the start, I was like, oh my god, I love this. Because, like, again, all I knew from it was the title screen art. So I didn't expect anything. I didn't know what it was about at all. And it starts off like, I don't know what kind of art style to describe it as, but it's done in a very, like, old computery kind of way of, it's like, it's black and white. monochrome, right? Yeah, yeah okay. it's monochromatic, and it's, like, it's not ACII art, but it kind of reads like that. SE art? I don't know how to say that. It kind of reads like that. It's, like, yep. pixelated. Vague outlines of stuff. Um, 
and you basically get on the ship and you have this compass that you hold you go up to a body you can use the compass it's a stopwatch it's not a compass i think um to go back in time and witness the moment of their death and so you get like a brief audio interaction of like the moment of the death and then it goes into like a frozen scene of that death happening and you can walk around in the scene and like identify people and figure out what's going on and so the entire game is basically you get a notebook in the game and the notebook has the the crew logs of the entire ship a photo of everybody on the ship and then like a bunch of parts filled out which are like these parts are where different things happen on the ship and you have to figure out what happened to every single you have to name every single crew member on the ship which is like 66 people or something like that 60 something and then you also have to say what happened to them. You have to do this correctly. Uh, and at first I was like, this is overwhelming. There's no way I can do this. But you get corrected. And like, so it tells you in groups of three, if you've gotten things correct, so you have to correctly identify three people to get, and it like locks it into the notebook instead of like being drafted and it like locks it in. And it's okay. like, you are correct. Um, and honestly, like it sounds kind of boring putting it like that, but <laughs> the, sound the audio the music direction of it is amazing it gives you such satisfying sounds when you lock stuff in and every part of the game has like these amazing sounds i was just the entire game i was like oh my god this just sounds really good because it feels good when it's like you got this correct and it like does it in a really dramatic way um and i really love that and also over time you start getting the hang of like this is one of those games where you probably need a notebook i did write notes in a notebook they're really embarrassing notes because i drew a really terrible caricature of a character not caricature but like i tried to sketch them out from the photo to be like yes it's this guy and then i wrote next to him that because i am terrible at accents i cannot do accents to save my life like there was an i think there was an irish guy in it for ages i was like is he english welsh indian like, I just mm-hmm. could not, I can't do accents at all. And so I wrote next to this Russian guy that he was Indian for, like, two-thirds of the game. And it was throwing me off so much because I could not do it. Um, so if you're good at accents, you can probably figure out a lot of the people a lot earlier. Because the game basically goes, at certain points, it lets you know if you have enough information to make an intelligent guess on a character and who they are and what happened to them. And... <laughs> it gave me some it was like you can make a you can make a decision on this now and I was like I cannot I absolutely uh-huh. <laughs> cannot but if someone had a good ear for accents they could probably pick up a lot of the characters earlier on than I did um and so uh. you get you kind of get a hang of the crew members you get a hang of like the ship layout and everything uh you also it gets really weird it just gets weird <laughs> like the story gets really weird and that's I was into what, that as well that's what intrigued me about it the idea of a ghost ship in some kind of unexplainable tragedy sounds up my alley, but I'm not sure the note-taking aspect is so much. Yeah, I don't know if, like, note-taking is a thing that everyone needs or if I just needed it because I was really bad at it. I gotta say, like, I didn't write that many notes. It was mostly just to remind me of certain characters' names um, or being like, this is the third mate and he's doing things with these characters to kind of keep it all in my head. Um Okay. It's it does let you get it like a lot of it can be like inference and guessing, but if you kind of like if you look at everything properly, you can guess it pretty easily. I say this because I managed to guess a lot of stuff and figure it out, and I am not good at putting things together. So I feel like it's not super hard, but it does require like getting to know the crew and the ship quite well. Um, okay, it's weird. 
like the biggest thing about it, I really just love the audio. <laughs> like the sound design is just really, really good. Uh, I do recommend it. I don't know if you'll like it or not, but it is a really weird, interesting game. Okay, it's good to know. Yeah, I loved it. I think I played it like for two days straight until I finally, well, I didn't play it two days straight. I like played it, went to work, came home, played it more until I finished it because I was like, I need to, The at the end, like, or when you get three locked down, it goes to the back of the book and it like puts in three things. And basically you want to fill up the entire thing to be like, yes, I got the whole crew. And every time you get three more, you're like, oh, I'm doing so well. It feels so good. Uh, I wish, yeah, I wish games these days had like demos. Because I feel like you could play the first the first little bit of it and know from that whether or not you'd like it. Interesting. Yeah. It's a cool game. A weird game, but a cool game. And then I guess like the other game I've been playing a bunch of is Hades, which is uh, the new game by Supergiant. Is that the right name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Supergiant yeah, they made Pyre fame. Mm-hmm. I love they made Pyre, Pyre and- but I've been avoiding this one because of my problem with gods. <laughs> That's, you know what, that's extremely fair. <laughs> it's actually It's relevant. extremely Greek god. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I was, at first when they announced it, I was like, roguelike? I don't like roguelikes. Why would I play this game? Uh, but I actually have been really enjoying it. It's like the first time I've ever really enjoyed a roguelike because the roguelikeness of it is built into the narrative of the game because basically you're Zagreus, uh, Hades' son, and you're trying to escape the underworld because you don't want to be there anymore because you hate your dad, you hate your family, you hate your life. You want to escape and find your mother. What's her name? Starts with the P. Why have I suddenly gotten this? Persephone? Yeah, Persephone. I okay. think that's what you're looking for. Is your mother Persephone. So you want to escape and go to the mortal plane or whatever to find her. Um, and the art is amazing, of course, because it's super giant. <laughs> the art is so good i love the character designs so much they're extremely good uh and basically so yeah it's built in that you're trying to escape the underworld but obviously like you're not meant to so the underworld is trying to stop you and so every time you you die you come back through like the blood pit and your dad's like ha failed again i see and you're like shut up dad um (laughs) and there are a bunch of other characters that hang around in like the main house so there's like uh oh my god why have i got anyone's name theseus no, Achilles. I think it's Achilles. <laughs> okay. I should really remember these characters' names by this point. Uh, see, I see this. This is helping me learn my mythology. It is. It's Achilles. Is like your mentor, kind of. And so you can talk to him. And he's kind of like your secondary father figure, I guess. And there's like a, a Gorgon head that floats around that you can talk to, who's the maid of the house. Cerberus is there. And you can now pet Cerberus in the latest patch they gave you the ability to pet Cerberus <laughs> they um, patched in <laughs> yeah they did uh Orpheus the singer is that Orpheus that's right yeah Orpheus eventually starts singing as well and his music is gorgeous so basically you're there being like you you tell him like made up things about what you've done you're like Orpheus get, listen to this amazing thing I've done lately and he'll write a song about it um and there's the Furies as well. So there's Megara, one of the Furies, and she's her voice is so good. I don't know how they gave her the kind of like she's kind of like whispering almost, but not really whispering. It's very like low vocal fry kind of thing, but it just sounds so good. 
So she's there. You've got like a weird sister relationship with her. Um, it's just God, extremely good. <laughs> and the music in Super Giant Games is always so good. Yeah, there's one of them. I think it's Lament of Orpheus is so good. Like whenever I get to. Whenever that's playing, whenever I come back, I'm just like, I'm going to stand here for like 10 minutes and just listen to the song because it's extremely good. And yeah, the writing obviously is extremely witty and good because it's super giant. And as you go through, you get boons from the gods on Olympus who are, you know, your extended family. And so you learn more about them as you go through. There's also chaos, which is like the uh, primal creature that spawned everything, I guess, which is, it's an extremely weird creature and I love it. And you can kind of like a bond, like fix relationships between characters as well as you go through, if you make choices, uh, not really choices, but like you can build relationships with the different characters, like the gods and everything and learn more about them. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really punish you too much for failing a bunch of times. Cause when you fail, you get more stuff to make yourself stronger and then you can go through again and again. And you get better at learning the worlds. And the last patch, I actually got up to like the final, what I'm assuming is the final battle kind of thing. And I died a bunch of times because it's hard. It's very hard on purpose. And I don't know. It, it gives you a lot of space to grow. And when you die, it doesn't feel like a punishment because it's built into the story of the game. Because every time you go back to your house, you get a chance to talk to characters more and learn about them. And so I found the way they designed it to be a roguelike and also an early access. Really interesting and really good. So I do actually really recommend this game in general if you like Supergiant games because it is at its core a Supergiant game. And it's just really good. I really like it. Good. I'm glad to hear that they have had nothing but successes so far as far as I know. Yeah. I still haven't played Bastion though. Hmm. No, I haven't either. Really only a Pyre person. Yeah, I really love Pyre. I really love Transistor. And now I really love Hades. So Supergiant's just knocking it out of the park for me. I really need to go back and play Pyre again, because it's an extremely good game. Yes. I started a new playthrough and didn't get very far, because I just I don't usually replay things that often, but it's everything about it is good. It's such a lovely game. And so. speaking of lovely game, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Control, which Megan has played a lot more than I have. Um, so I'll let her take point on this. Sure. So Control came out on August 27th from Remedy, which made Alan Wake and Quantum Break, both of which I think are kind of cult hits. They are always they're mentioned often in the game community, but they've never really gained a huge fandom as far as I know. I was not familiar with those before I saw the trailers for Control, but Control looked so extremely, like, just up my alley. It is inspired <laughs> by new weird fiction, which is another reason I thought we had to bring this podcast back to the dead back from the dead just to talk about it <laughs> because it's inspired directly by Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer by House of Leaves by Mark Danielewski and by the new weird genre in general so it is about the oldest house which is the 
the base for the Federal Bureau of Control, an American government organization dedicated to sussing out supernatural occurrences, most of which in this world are in the form of um, uh, altered objects, things usually technology from before 1970 or so, maybe before 1980, things like rotary phones that have been that act strange and have strange properties in some way. You or a are... cowboy boot. Or a cowboy I only know that because I read a document right before this podcast about a cowboy boot. Well, there's the whole thing about how they're archetypal objects. Like, there's a sign. So I am almost done with the game. I have uh, gotten to kind of the middle of the last mission right now and know a bunch of spoilers. <laughs> but... <laughs> In the very beginning, there's the sign. We're not going to talk about that because, Saf, how far are you? I am not far. I'm up to the Department of Dead Letters, and it got scary, so I stopped playing. Um, <laughs> I didn't... I, I stopped playing this game last night, actually, because I was like, God, I really want to play... I've been trying to make time to play this game for ages because I really want to play it. And last night, I was like, okay, this is the middle of my weekend. This is the evening. I'm going to play this damn game. Um... And I didn't know, I, I knew nothing about this game before I started playing it. Like, all I knew about it is that Yo. you said it was new weird, and I was like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's literally what convinced me to get the game. Um, and so I started playing it, I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of weird. And I was talking to my partner as I was playing it, and I was like, because my partner knows more about the game than I do. I don't think they've played it, but they definitely know more about it. And there was one point where the game, this is like the first creepy thing that happens, like fully creepy thing that happens. And I was like, oh my God, there's floating people and it's red and it's scary. And my partner just like started laughing because they're like, yeah, you know nothing about this game. And I feel like that's such a great way to experience it though, because it is one where avoid spoilers, avoid knowing things, avoid my Twitter if you have to. It is, <laughs> it. I love discovering things in this game. I love discovering the weird uh, messages sent between people and the kind of enemies you fight. And I love discovering that you can change your character's outfit, but only after a certain point. <laughs> I was so excited last night when I hit the first like kind of checkpoint, control point, I guess. And it was like, change outfit. And I was like, oh, oh my God, you get other outfits. <laughs> It's so important. So we're not going to be talking about spoilers, but um, I did find this to be satisfactorily weird. It uh, it does the things you want new weird to do, which includes making the world feel infected. The oldest oh, house yeah. itself is beautiful and is sort of a character of its own. It's brutalist. It could very easily have been ugly, but it's lit in such a way that is gorgeous. This game, if you're on PC, uh, there's been a lot of conversation about how high-end the ray tracing is. Yeah, it turns out if you have... It doesn't let you turn that on if your graphics card isn't good enough, because I'm assuming it doesn't want you to melt your computer. And I was like, God damn it, because my graphics card isn't quite good enough, so it wouldn't let me turn on the ray tracing. And I was like, just, just let me kill my computer for the sake of seeing it, <laughs> please. I don't know how that translates to consoles, what the equivalent is, or whether there's there's ray tracing happening in there somewhere. I don't know. But I do know that when I walked through slatted light from blinds, the light molded over my character's shoulder. And I was amazed. The The house is 
suffused with this these soft lights that can be either very beautiful or very creepy or an uncanny. It is an uncanny game. I don't necessarily think, and the creators have talked about this a little bit. It is not a horror game. It is. It is not, but it is a new weird game. Yeah, a new weird at its core is creepy and ominous because it can't help if the world is like not not <laughs> I don't know what the word is like not stable it's shifting in some way that is creepy like that's freaky to people because the world is a thing like <laughs> you can rely on the rules of the world but in new world new weird you totally can't and yeah like just the writing in it is so good because I remember right at the start like you said there's the the altered objects are usually like archetypal things so like oh, yeah things so that fill an archetype um and it has it's like a thing at the start where you can find a list of banned objects <laughs> yes and it's like papers smartwatches smartphones anything smart um and like stuff like that and it kind of has it has the <laughs> it very much has the comedy of like listing a bunch of normal things then some really weird things that catch you off guard uh and as you, like, when it starts, it's kind of like, you know, a little bit weird, but it feels like a federal bureau. Um, and in the first, like, ten minutes, it slowly gets weirder and weirder until you're like, hmm, something's up here. And then you encounter a janitor, and he's not looking <laughs> yeah. at you. And I was like, this man is going to have no face. I'm calling it. He has no face because he's not looking at me. And he looked at me and he had a face. And I was like, oh, never mind. But then, right after he talked <laughs> to me, he was like, better than having no face at all. And I was like, huh. He's, he's like wouldn't it be freaky if i had turned around and had yeah. no face and i was like yes yes Auntie, it would have been that was that what i was thinking extremely freaky yeah my dude it would have been <laughs> and yeah it just it pulls out like tropes and stuff like in that way like it catches you off guard at every point despite the fact that like it feels like you should you should know what's going to happen because there's been times like where something has freaked me out and I've been like, I should have seen that coming because it would make sense to do that. But the game had lulled me into what it was doing so successfully that I just wasn't prepared for what was going to happen. Um, I just also, one thing, it's the foliage, like the, the plants inside, because I've been drawing a lot of plants lately for another game research and the plants in this game are amazing. Like this diversity of plants there's like, I spent like 20 minutes at the start of the game just wandering around looking at all the plants because they're really oh pretty. <laughs> they're Can really you make pretty. Make a thread that's just plants of control. Because... I should, honestly. <laughs> I should because, yeah, it's got like the typical like ferny kind of things. They're not ferns. I don't know what they're called. The, the weird wide plants with like the holes in them. I don't know what they're called, but they're cool and they're kind of everywhere. And it's got those. It's got like a real diversity of plants and they're like, typical office plant boxes that you see like a real diversity of plants like it's really cool and then <laughs> as I'm going through I find like other weird like these weird bulbous trees that kind of remind me of my desert rose when it was smaller um which have really cool little flowers and there's like other weird little cacti and succulents on people's desks and I was like every time I see a new plant I'm like oh there's a really cool plant and I walk over and inspect it because the plant detailing is gorgeous they really worked hard on the plants <laughs> and I think that's really cool yeah, I noticed those bulbous trees too. It's so like, cool. oh, these are cool. It's <laughs> so weird, but they're like they're normal plants, but they're weird. Like they're not what you'd expect in an office building as well. So they also kind of help to be like, look at this weird plant. It's kind of odd, just like everything else. What you said about the game going against some tropes, or rather, playing into some tropes, but in a satisfying way, is part of what I wanted to talk about because 
this game could have been very derivative very quickly. There are a lot of comp titles for this. It looks like Annihilation. It looks like SCP. It looks like Welcome <laughs> to Night Vale. It looks like all of those things, but it, it does not feel repetitive. And right now, especially, I'm very... I'm a little bit obsessed with looking for something new. And even though this plays with a lot of those ideas, it feels new. Maybe that's because they're ideas that I like. Maybe that's because it the tone is incredible, I think. The writing could so easily have gone to be too silly or too edgy, and it did neither of those. And exists in this nice place in between them that gives it a really unique feeling. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same space as you of like wanting to find something new. Um, especially new weird because I love new weird. And yeah, playing through this like straight away, I was like, this reminds me of something. This really reminds me of something. I was like, oh, it reminds me of the Annihilation books. Like, but that wasn't just it. I was like, it reminds me of something else. It was kind of niggling at me for a while. And I saw containment procedures for a certain like altered thing, and I was like, SCP reminds me of SCP. But SCP as like a core is a community built thing. And so as you're like, I love. I love fake paranormal stuff that reads like it could be real. Like I, I read a lot of, I spend a lot of time on paranormal subreddits. Uh, there's one in particular that I go to, Missing Four One One, because it gets a lot of the, it gets a really good cross section of like government conspiracy, Bigfoot, interdimensional aliens, time stuff, like a really big weird cross section of conspiracy theorists that. And every now and then I get someone who's like, Bush did 9-11 or whatever. I'm like, shut up. But (laughs) most of the time it's like, it feels like no sleep in the way that the stuff that's written is creepy and could be real. But I'm like, I don't believe it. And they also recently read um, a series that's well known on No Sleep, which is like the Mold series, which was very good. Um, So I've been spending a lot of time like trying to find like a balance of well-written, weird, creepy stuff that's kind of new weird, but isn't, I don't know, like... like not well written childish trying too hard yeah which is a really hard balance to find especially among like community written stuff because sometimes you'll get really good stuff and then you'll go to the next page and then it's kind of like real bad because it's written by someone who doesn't really know what they're doing yet and I don't want to like diss people who are trying to improve their skills because I think that's really cool it's just not really what I'm looking for right now and I'm looking for a very specific thing as well and so far control feels like exactly what I've been trying to find that whole time because it does strike that really good balance between kind of funny, really weird, somewhat ominous and creepy. Like, that's exactly what I've been trying to find. And I did not expect to find it in a game of all places, but I'm really into it. I think New Weird has given itself an Achilles heel in calling itself New Weird. Because yeah. it, it started in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Jeff Vandermeer was influenced by a variety of other writers, including... Lena Crone and um, a writer of a novel called Sisyphean, whose last name I cannot remember right now. But he was influenced by them and started writing the uh, Annihilation trilogy and creating the story and anthologies that he created and made this idea of what is the unifying definition of new weird. New is right there in the title. The weird part also incorporates some ecological fiction, some fantasy, some magical realism which i realize is a hotly debated genre title <laughs> and is a whole thing that i'm aware of but i'm not going to go into right now and said this is our our new word for it now it's been a decade it's been two decades um and 
new weird is not new anymore. So I'm wondering whether there is going to be uh, a next weird in a way that is building on things like Annihilation because now we're far enough from them that things are being inspired by them. And because Control is a game, it can do certain things that a book could not do or that books like House of Leaves tried to do with an experimental format. And this is timed so well, I think, where new weird fans are constantly looking for novelty because that's part of it and are also looking for this specific ecological feeling and this feeling of infection that's very strong in control. Mm-hmm. So I think it's timed very well. Yeah, it's wild to me that I've never considered New Weird as a genre for games before, because it makes so much sense. Like, they're interactive. They can extremely, like, mess with the player in interesting ways just through, like, the level design and the art design and everything. Like, they can, you are active in a game in a way that you can't be with books and stuff like that and movies. And it literally never occurred to me that a new weird game could exist or that I could even make a new weird game. And so when you mentioned this game was new weird, I just like my eyes were opened. I was like, oh my God, this is a whole new thing that I've never thought about and now can exist. And I do hope because this game is getting quite a lot of attention and I feel like we'll probably be in a lot of the awards later this year or like early next year. Um, because if this ain't in the nominations for like every single narrative award, I mean, I'm like, what, two hours into the game, if that uh i'm already gonna be disappointed because also art like its art direction is amazing um i lost i hope it inspires more new weird games yeah i'm really curious about what the next generation is going to be for this kind of thing there are problems with this game i'm right now stuck because one of the fights is quite difficult and the save points are so far apart so so far apart (laughs) yeah the the major problems with this game have been heavily detailed a lot of the reviews say the same thing but they are all correct the save points are way too far apart multi-stage battles with an without any ability to save in between the stages become frustrating very quickly There are some points where you can save in the middle of a stage or where the stage kind of resets or or rather like locks itself, but those are few and far between and there are some performance issues when I load it up. I'm on Xbox One, like an Xbox One from the year or two after the console came out and there's some texture issues there are it's very slow when i first started up and there's also a known issue about the map doesn't load completely the map is placed in such a convenient way i really would love destiny to take a hint from control's map and be able to just have you press up on the d-pad and suddenly you can see a transparent look at where your public events are and just navigate from them but that map itself does not work all the time and sometimes comes in incompletely. So there are things that make it frustrating. Um, It's hard to tell for me whether the part I'm at right now is I just need to grind a little bit because this game does have loot like Destiny does, so a lot of what you're doing to level up is not necessarily um, increasing your character's personal level, but it's increasing the mods that you carry, and there are just certain ways to find more mods. I can't quite tell whether I need to find more things right now or whether 
the game is just set a little too, the difficulty is just a little too much for me personally. Um, so that can be an issue. Yeah, last night when I first realized there was going to be combat in it, I was like, wait, is there a difficulty thing in this? Because I don't want to play it hard. Because this game does not feel to me like a shooter. <laughs> like, from the start, like, I would rather this be, you know, a walking simulator. I don't want to fight. I want to I want to explore. But the powers feel so good. Yeah, I haven't quite gotten to too many powers. I could use, like, the melee thing where you crush stuff, which is pretty cool. And, like, I remember looking through the controls to figure out what everything was. And I was like, wait, I can levitate? Because it's, like, jump slash levitate is one of the controls. So I was like, ooh, I'm excited for that. Um, don't know when any of that stuff comes in kind of excited for it can't crouch yet despite the fact that there is a control for it and i'm like why can't i crouch yet though <laughs> i should be able to crouch at any point in time oh, that's weird i don't know if the game's just broken not letting me or like if i literally just can't crouch yet and i'm just like i don't <laughs> think you have to unlock <laughs> a shooter, that but i might look into that more then but like or if i'm just like being a shooter gamer who's like let me crouch i want to crouch at all times for stealth <laughs> no i felt that because it's a little <laughs> awkward on the controller for me the crouch is a little bit awkward so I agree with that. Yeah. Maybe I am pushing the wrong button to crouch. I don't know. I'll look into it again. Um, I keep it took me a little while to adjust. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Big same. I, I, it took me a little while to adjust to using third person instead of first person because the only shooters I've played recently have been Halo or Destiny. Uh, which, you know, I adjust first person. Um, so it took me a while to stop running into stuff and knocking everything over because I was like not used to just running around as a third person player. It was very exciting to me when I realized I could just completely destroy everything game. around me. Yeah, that's part of the appeal. <laughs> I think the the detritus is incredible. Like, I mean, if yeah. you brush against a desk, it collapses. But also, if you're intentionally throwing desks around, it looks great. It's so cool. It's just, it's a really cool game. I'm probably going to go play more after we're done recording this because I'm like, oh, I want to play more of it and find out more. Um, I'm like, also mad because I don't have the clearance for a bunch of stuff yet, and I have a bunch of files I don't have the clearance for. I'm like, give me the damn clearance. I want to know. Clearance is like your their primary way of locking things off because you can also... I had heard this and didn't really understand it, but you can wander into areas that are too, too beefy for you, and the game will not tell you that's not where you need to go. You need to check oh, your no. map. Like, there are parts where... Uh, I thought I was going the right way, and I, but I couldn't beat the thing or I couldn't figure out the thing, and I realized that this isn't actually where I'm supposed to go at all. Like, this is a challenge, but it's not a challenge I have to do right now. So that is, I think that's a very interesting choice and a very intentional choice of allowing it to feel like you can go wherever, but it also means that you sometimes end up in bottlenecks that then, like, get frustrating and you need to just back out of them and go, oh, I didn't have to be here at all, which is also frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm definitely going to come up against the fact that, for one thing, I would like to play this on an easy difficulty because I don't want to play it for the gameplay, um, which, <laughs> like, I mean, the fighting is fun. It is, it's not bad. I just, that's not what I'm here for with this game. Did you um, find difficulty settings? Because I did not. I found the impressive amount of accessibility, but in terms of, of difficulty yeah oh, that's unfortunate yeah I couldn't find any and I was like well I guess then it probably won't be too hard of a game but I keep dying so I was like mm, maybe it's a bit hard <laughs> yeah I also was frustrated because um like talking about mechanic stuff there's no I couldn't find any way to turn off the like cursor acceleration because I'm using my Xbox controller on it 
Um, and so when I'm aiming, I usually have my sensitivity quite low when I'm playing Destiny. I don't use my control for that, but I use it. I have sensitivity quite low because I prefer it that way. And this game has really high acceleration. So you can turn the sensitivity as low as you want, but while you're like scanning along to shoot someone else, it's going to zoom. It's going to slowly zoom up until you're going real fast. And so I keep missing... I just really don't like that. I like it. Most games have a way to turn the acceleration off or turn it slower. And this one doesn't. And I was like, how dare you do this to me and make me have to play with high sensitivity? Hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's my biggest I, complaint, honestly, is that. The combat does get frustrating at times. But for me, the thing that keeps me coming back to it is in terms of the, the gameplay specifically, rather than the atmosphere, which is the real thing that makes me coming back to it, is the powers, so the psychic power. I have, I think, the whole suite of like psychic abilities now, and the lift just feels so good. It's it's really like being a Jedi in like the best Star Wars game ever. The sound is so good. Every time you psychically lift something, it goes like, it makes like a an alarm sound like the wind is whipping past you so fast that it just screams it's very good it feels very powerful i love how um kind of tough jesse feels there's a bit of a disconnect between how squishy jesse actually is (laughs) and how tough she feels against the environment (laughs) because you'll be like punching through a wall one minute and the next like you can't play like you're playing destiny the, the she's just not that tough so yeah she is a human with squishy skin unfortunately yeah but also, which is the thing i keep learning as well yeah but also sweet uh psychic powers the levitation feels really good once you get the hang of it i am um, really keen for the psychic powers because i feel like i honestly didn't realize that there were powers until like i realized that my melee wasn't just punching like I'm straight up destroying stuff with like psychic powers in some way. Uh, and also looking through the controls and being like, wait, levitation? What is this? And then I was like, wait, there must be more coming later on. But I haven't gotten to that yet. And I'm excited for it. I think it's it's funny, weird that there is no, ex- at least from all the stuff I've read, there's no explanation for why her punches are so powerful. They're not psychic <laughs> punches. She's just really strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they feel like psychic in some way. It's wild. And, it's and maybe maybe they are. I don't maybe I missed that particular bit of lore. Well, they haven't like explained it. That hasn't been explained, but like they look they look like more than just a normal punch because there's a lot happening there. <laughs> like yeah. the ground crunches under you as you do it kind of thing. Um Yeah. Also one thing I really like <laughs> liked about it, which was kinda weird, is that la- uh before when I was playing it, I managed to Last night when I was playing it, I wasn't getting subtitles for the hiss talking. And I was like, but I mm-hmm. want to know what the hiss is saying because it's real creepy. And I was trying to decipher it uh, just by listening. But then today I managed to find a place where it was giving me subtitles for what the hiss was saying. And as it was going through, I was like, this this reads like slam poetry. Uh, <laughs> because I've been, I listened to a lot of the front bottoms. And so Discover Weekly has decided that for some reason I want to hear a lot of slam poetry. So my I've been getting a lot of slam poetry in my Discover Weekly, which I don't love. But when I was reading that, I was like, God, this sounds so much like the slam poetry I've been listening to. Is that, when you wrote that note, I was wondering whether that was a good thing or a bad thing to you. I think it's a good thing. Like, I'm not a fan of slam poetry, but the language used is really interesting. Um, Because it is kind of, like, uh, very visceral in the way it describes stuff. 
and the the hiss what the hiss is is also very visceral and weird um and i was listening i was watching like larry and sometimes and listening to it and being like this is so creepy <laughs> like it's good mm-hmm. how it sounds is very good mm-hmm. it has that sing-songy sense of inevitability that annihilation has yeah but it also gets like really angry sometimes i'm not angry necessarily but like really loud with certain things yeah and it has like a rhythm to it too it's very the sound design is just extremely good yes Speaking about Jesse's powers, one of the things that I've been thinking about and then later um, kind of solidified for me that one of the things that makes this not a horror game is that Jesse is very powerful. You always feel like you can punch your way through. Basically, even if it's challenging, the game does not do the thing that a lot of horror games do, which is to intentionally take um the character's power away and to like give them a feeling of powerlessness i was thinking about this in comparison with soma because i'm constantly thinking about soma (laughs) and i really like that about it and that that i think is another thing that makes it not horror but uncanny i was wondering if you had any feelings about that in relation to kind of what type of new weird protagonists are and like maybe specifically annihilations protagonists and how she kind of approached things because she had less power but but she also had her character arc was so strong that it felt like she was on a kind of a direct path does that does that strike anything with you yeah no i agree i feel like horror games are very much like um I don't know. Yeah, a lot of games do use the thing of, like, they take away your power or whatever. And part of the fear is that you don't know how to fight back. Um, Like Soma, which is why I haven't finished Soma, because this scares me so much. (laughs) It's It's so scary. I haven't, I've only got the weenie mode. Um, So the the monsters can't hurt me. Nothing can hurt me. I mean, apart from, like, the, the thing that happens when you look at stuff directly. But, like, they can't physically hurt me because I have that turned on because I'm too scared. And even then, I'm too scared to play the game because it's scary. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I do think, yeah, like Jesse and the what is her character name in the books? The biologist. Yeah, the biologist. They're very similar in the way that they do have a goal and they want to be part of this world as well. Because um, there's like a thing very early yeah. on where Jesse's like, I knew this was a thing that existed. And it wasn't just that I wanted to find out what happened, but I also want to be part of this world. And the biologist as well is like, I want to be there. I want to go in there and be part of it and find out what's happening. And so it's very much like, instead of this world kind of subsuming the character and being something scary to the character as well, it's something that they want to be part of and discover more of, which I think helps it be less scary. Yeah, I agree. I I love... This is spoilers for an essay that I haven't published yet, but which hopefully <laughs> will be coming out soon, that I wrote about the comparison between it and Annihilation. And so I was flipping through the book, and I think Jessie expresses her love for the oldest house a lot more than the biologist expresses her um, kind of fraternity with Area X. She is deeply connected to the to area x but she never comes out and says that she loves it the way jesse does and i feel there's definitely a line there but control takes it one step further and is like 
I'm gonna there's a couple parts in the game that do this where she's like I I know I'm supposed to be scared here but I'm actually having a really good time and I love that and I think that's an essential thing for why this is a story about someone not being terrorized but being changed yeah and I feel like that's a big part of a lot of new weird stuff is a kind of the metamorphosis that happens with it for sure and fiction so. as well as metamorphosis <laughs> yes and the very important like difference between those two very important yeah it was kind of cool because i remember like right at the start this stuff of like don't spread the mold kill the mold the mold is bad <laughs> you and can just spread the mold <laughs> one of the posters <laughs> just says that yeah, yeah, so straight away, and, like, mold is very much a thing, like, a, I mean, as a New Zealand renter, mold is very much an issue here, so I personally identify with the don't spread the mold, um, but also, because I just read the mold series, I don't remember, like, what the actual name of it is, on No Sleep, so I was, like, already in the mind space of, like, creepy mold, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, yes, more creepy mold, I love this stuff, because mold <laughs> is creepy, it's so gross, and... It's got spores and stuff. It's just, oh, it's so gross. I hate, I hate it. Mold. I, I hate I, it and I love seeing yeah. it in horror stuff. There's a fine line for me between I love this and I'm pleasantly scared and like I have to actually leave with with creepy fungus. Yeah. And there was a part in, in, in Control where I was like, I might have to leave, but oh, no. it's fine. It's not... The, the the horror and grossness in this game, I, I like to... I think the good comparison for people is that it's like the grave mind in Halo is about as gross as it gets. And okay. it's not... Um, it doesn't go into as much detail as, like, would really freak me out. But it did also remind me of, like, real mold in, in real life. A friend of mine who rents in Brooklyn, once sent me a picture. She had a long-standing mold problem in her house and sent me a picture of a single mushroom growing upside down from her ceiling. And oh, my God. I would have left the house. I would have, like, I can't sleep here anymore. I'm not renting this place anymore. Goodbye. I have to leave. So Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> our mold problems don't tend to turn to mushrooms. It's just, like black mold that spreads across everything which very much aesthetically has the kind of new weird feeling to it yes. um no mushrooms growing thank god because if mushrooms start growing i would be out <laughs> i mean i say as if the black mold growing in my inhaler isn't a problem but like mushrooms have another level of creepy <laughs> like that's why uh the last of us is just so ugh, viscerally creepy to me is because the cordyceps thing is just real gross and control freaky. does not go that far into the mushroom that's route good to know because the black that... mold route oh yeah i don't think i could handle the cordyceps kind of route in this because that might be a bit too creepy for me so i'm glad yeah. to hear that like the grave mind being the creepiest it gets is good to know because the grave mind is creepy but i can handle it so before we end i want to do to maybe talk about the characters a little bit i don't want to go too far into this if you haven't if you haven't played that much but uh, a lot of narrative weight is put on close-ups of either Jesse's face or Director Trench's face. And there are some characters you can have conversation with and you can ask them questions. There are no dialogue choices, but you can ask 
so you can choose to ask questions or not. You do meet some people along the way. I was worried at first that this game would feel too empty, that it would feel like I was alone in the house and that that would get not scary, but boring. But there are enough people that it feels populated. Not a lot of cutscenes, which I do think is limiting, but um, is they they had it's what Remedy had to work with. So a lot of the weight of it is put on either conversations that are in dialogue trees or these extreme close-ups. So that was a unique thing. Um, it, it wasn't ideal for me, but it didn't bother me too much. Do you have any thoughts about the characters or the way they um, kind of used the character models they have? Yeah, I found the close-up thing like really unsettling. Um... It's strange because you'll be in a conversation and then suddenly it's like a close up of her like thinking things. And it's different and weird. And I'm like, so far, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm into this. It's weird, but I'm into this. Um, I haven't had too much of Trench except for like the weird overlays you get of him as a silhouette. Like, I really want to know how they did some of the graphic stuff in this because it's really cool. I was wondering that too. I'm not sure how they did some of those. Yeah, they're real weird and cool. Uh, so I've had a little bit of trench, but not much. I met Emily and I do like her. She's really cool. I found it really funny last night um, in another way of like this game acknowledging like tropes and stuff is that you ask her for like info on the oldest house. No, not the oldest house, like altered whatever or something like that. And weapons of power, maybe something like that. Um, and she, like, she's basically like, I really love this stuff, so I'm just gonna info dump on you, and then it info dumps on you, and Jesse's just like, uh, okay, I don't understand anything, and I was like, I appreciate this game just acknowledges that it's gonna do this, unlike other games, which are like, you ask a question, and the character's like, let me, let me give you an encyclopedic knowledge of this thing, whereas this character actually has a reason for doing that, and she, she owns it to begin with, and then the main character is, like, the character, the, the player, like, I didn't understand what you said, but thank you for that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and so I appreciated that and the characterization of her, like, being part of that. Um, I think that was a really good way to have a lot of the explanations early on if you want to ask her for them and get some info. Because then it doesn't feel, like, force-fed. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel that they... They made a couple of jokes about how Emily info-dumps and then... But that didn't really reflect in her other dialogue. I wanted them to push her a little further as, like, yeah. she's a wacky scientist. I wanted more of that. Because she definitely has that. Because you, like, talk about her, your gun to her. And she's like, oh, I would love to inspect it. And she's like, but I better not because you'll probably die. And you're like, yeah, I better keep this. <laughs> and I do, I do want more of that because, like, she is a wacky scientist. But it kind of gets undercut, I feel, by everything else that she says. She only has little, like, sparks of it, and then it kind of disappears. And I was like, aw, but she's so cool. She's got such a cool design. She's so cute. I really she, love her. She is so cute. I like her hair. I also really like that the photos and videos in the place are, like, real people. <laughs> like, the recordings of real people. Or, like, photos of real people. Oh, some of them get very freaky. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited about that. I just found it, like, really kind of, like... I don't know. It's weird. It's really weird, but it works, and I really like yes. that. Yeah, for sure. I think that about sums up how we feel about control. Yeah, it's really weird, but I like it. And I guess that's us for today. Yeah, wow. I think that's that's about all I have to say about that. I really want to catch up with you once you play some more of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
me too. I'm keen to actually get into it more and find out more about what's happening because I feel like there's a lot that is in this game and I'm excited for it. I honestly can't believe I didn't know anything about it before it came out because I actually, one of my friends, I think is on the writing team of it and she's been really excited for it. And I was like, I'm excited for you, but I do not have time to look at a new game and think about a new game. Especially because I was like, it's a shooter made by the same people as Alan Wake and I didn't love Alan Wake, so whatever. Uh, but now I'm playing it, I'm like, I was a damn fool. I should have listened to her. <laughs> should have played it from the start. But at, at the same time, I'm also glad I didn't know anything about it going in because going into this with literally no knowledge is amazing. It's yeah. great. I love it's it. It's really the best way. Yeah. All right. Kind of the same as me going to an Annihilation with no knowledge. <laughs> Gosh. This is a game that I already wish I could play for the first time again. Oh, I love games like that. Oh, I'm going to go play some Destiny, so I'm glad we could <laughs> glad we could catch up today. Me too. I'm going to go play some Control. Thank you for listening, people. If you are listening to us, we appreciate it. Um, I'm on Twitter at Wanderlustin. Megan, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at blog full of words. We can also be found at Tashi underscore station, right? <laughs> That's the main yeah. feed. Yeah. Wait, are they that or they have they gotten the actual thing? Has it been long enough? I've heard the it? underscore version so many times. We're gonna check. That's We're gonna oh no, check. they have the non underscore version now. It's been that long. Nice. Okay. At Toshi Station. Cool. So At Tashi Station. <laughs> no underscore is where you can find the our feed and the other Tashi Station podcasts. So thank you for listening. Thank you for returning. If this is your first western reaches episode it was a very typical one <laughs> <laughs> this is what you're getting into with us yes welcome we'll hopefully be back at some point with more info about how the moon is haunted <laughs>